0: Hello and welcome to Root & Bone, the podcast where we find chefs, cooks, critics, writers and anyone else we'd like to meet from the UK's food culture and persuade them to invite us round to their place. We ask them to make us some food or drink that's important to them, and while they do it, we talk about food, about drink, and about whatever else they'd like to throw into the pot. This week's episode features Richard H. Turner, chef. Restauranteur, cookbook writer butcher and about a dozen other things besides if you've eaten a great piece of meat in london in the last 20 years there's a good chance he had something to do with it we cover everything from marco pierre white's secret sauce ingredients to how not to behave in the toilet of a quality london steakhouse and he cooked us up an absolute storm along the way so grab some snacks and a nice glass of something and join us in the kitchen as we interview richard h turner My first question is, what are we having?
1: Um, I've got a three-bone rubber beef, uh, which is from a, a Hereford animal, purebred, um, and it's slow roasting. I mean, it's, it's been roasted about one hundred and fifty degrees, and for it's now long? well, so far for f- four hours. Okay. But then I dropped it way, way down to sixty degrees, so it's it's really slow, okay, uh, not to overcook it. And that's just going to go with
0: some uh, braised vegetables. There's a cast iron pot I'm looking at, which looks like it's got the bone in it. What's bone going, marrow? What's going on in there? So there's some
1: bone marrow shafts in there, which are just flavouring the gravy. And the uh, the actual bone marrow that I pulled out in the middle is going to be whisked into it later. Wow.
0: So well, it's just flavouring flavouring beef gravy. Okay. And. Why did you choose this dish as the one that sort of means something to you? I fancied beef,
1: right. most importantly. <laughs> and I have, uh, you know, an affiliation with beef. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of known as being a, a steak chef and a beef chef, but yeah. mostly meat. I've got butchery and Hawksmoor is part, you know, very, very beefy and meatopia, of course. So all those things mean, I mean, it's, it's got to be meaty, I think.
0: And is this something you would cook for yourself?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Not, not often, because I'm trying not to eat too much meat. Right. But, yeah, I mean, I would definitely do this at least three or four times a year.
0: Okay. Well, it Which smells th- amazing. So I want to make sure that I've got the list of everything that you've done right. Okay. So if I'm getting this, if I get it wrong, then let me know. But I think there are...
1: Eight Hawksmores now. There's eight Hawksmores. Um, three
0: Blacklocks.
1: Fourth one opens up in February.
0: There's the uh,
1: Gridiron. Gridiron in Park Lane, yeah. There's four cookbooks. Um, there is one, two, three, four, five cookbooks. Five cookbooks, forgive me, and Turner and George. Turner and George. And Meetopia. And Meetopia. And I'm part of London Union, Dinerama. Oh, okay. No, that I didn't know. Um, maybe a few other bits and bobs.
0: And you were just telling us that you only work sort of five days a month. Yeah, I didn't oh. want to
1: make that public.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but you sound—it sounds like you've been pretty busy. That is—that seems like a crazy amount of things to be involved in. Does it not? Does it not overwhelming? No, because I don't—I
1: don't really do an awful lot. I mean, other people do the bulk of everything. I'm just sort of. Often start things and, and hand them over, right, and then just you know pop in from time to time. And if you don't mind me asking, how old are you? Fifty-two. I
0: had to think for about for a second. But yeah. And so I've read that you were originally in the parachute regiment. I was in the parachute regiment for and, a few and,
1: years.
0: So when and from
1: then, uh, how long were you in the Paris? Um, I was in the army for seven years before the Paris uh, no, the Paris is okay. part of that okay and uh, then I went on and did a few other bits and bobs and you were then in private security. Uh, I was in private security for precisely one year, one year yeah
0: and is that the kind of looking after high net worth individuals yeah. getting in and out of sleek black cars
1: that kind of that, thing okay. yeah yeah.
0: yeah. Because I read in a, one of your earlier interviews that you got the, uh, you decided that you wanted to start cooking because you were spending time in restaurants with these high net worth clients, was, eating the same food as yeah, they were, thinking... Yeah.
1: It was one particular restaurant, in fact, it was the Gavroche. Right. Um, and I was eating there quite a bit, and I liked the food, funnily enough. Yeah, at the time, it was, it was a three-mission-star restaurant. So it was, uh, it was it was my kind of food, it was delicious, and quite quite sort of not rustic, but quite French, deep French, proper French food. Okay. Back then, um, and I asked them if I could have a job while I was uh, you know while I was in and out of the door, um, and they refused many many times. Uh, and how many times did you have to ask? Oh, I mean I, I'd be making it up if I gave you a number, but I mean over over eight okay more than eight eight times yeah
0: did you have any idea of what it might involve if they did give you one had you seen sort of you know the backstage if you like had you been no. round the back with the bins and the and the fags and no the, not at all no you had no clue
1: no i mean it, you know you're, you're not prepared i mean luckily i would spent a bit of time in the army and i had done a few sort of hair raising things and and so when it ultimately came to it it was uh it was not it wasn't too tough for me okay but uh but it, it, it was it was you know arduous and, and and not i wouldn't recommend it back then it was
0: 18 hours a day right and did you immediately think i've made the right decision I've, this is this is what i'm supposed to be doing no right no. so well tell me about that, <laughs> so, that yeah.
1: no because it was bloody hard and it was like at a time i had um uh, my girlfriend was uh I just got back from from travelling a little bit um, after after the Gavroche we went off and travelled a little bit, and uh, she left me and, and went off and you know because the the hours were when we came back and started yeah. working again, um, the hours were just ridiculous. So Marco's restaurants were just insanely intense, but um, yeah, there there's quite a few times when I was just like, what am I doing? But
0: luckily, it didn't last long. Okay, and and, and when. Was there a moment, I know it's like a sort of a cheesy, media-y question, but was there a moment where you thought, I've, I've got it, I know what's going on now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be all right?
1: No. No, that hasn't come
0: yet. <laughs> I mean, you know, I think, if it's, if it's fair to say, I think you're doing all right.
1: Yeah, I've managed to, uh, I managed to pull a lot off, but... Um, but no, I, I look at chefs, a lot of chefs actually, mm. and I think, my God, they're so talented. Um, and there was a guy on television today on the Saturday kitchen. Uh, his name's David uh, from Spain, I can't remember his surname. But he's got like uh, three restaurants, one of them's got three mission stars in Madrid and one of them's over here called uh, Street Exo. And I thought, my God, that guy's so talented, I wonder if I can go and work for him. I thought that'd be ridiculous, he's like 35 years old, I mean, you know. Yeah, I'm sure you'd be welcome. No, I'm sure he'd let me in the kitchen, but then, you know, my knees would give way halfway through the night. <laughs>
0: Again, you're going to, this is going to sound like flattery, it's no, honestly not. The Hawksmoor in Spitalfields, I went for my stag night, my stag night okay. dinner with my pal. Okay. And we had the private room out the back,
1: yep, yep, which
0: yep. had all the sort of 50s pin-ups in it and all that yep, kind of thing yep, on the wall. Yep, yep, yep. And uh, it was genuinely, the, I still think about that steak that I had. It was the, it was the, best, it was the best steak I'd ever eaten. And yep. I remember thinking, why is there such a tiny portion of uh, fries with this steak? And why is, there, you know, why is there such a relatively small amount of Bernays with this steak? And then, and then when I started to eat it, I was like, oh, I get it. Like this, the fries are just for show. <laughs> this is just a little garnish. The meat is the start here. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I keep comparing every, uh, you know, every steak that I eat now, I still compare back to that one. It was quite something.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was uh, a, a purebred longhorn uh, back then. Um, and we, we were serving 400 gram portions, roughly. You yeah. had more if you wanted. Yeah. I don't think we did much smaller then. We do now. Um, but yeah, 400 grams is a big
0: old chunk of steak. It is,
1: yeah. Can you remember what you had?
0: Was it a ribeye? Uh, I think it might have been there was a T-bone on. Oh, so about eight hundred or nine hundred grams in. Yeah, so I got to pack it from two sides. Well, you know, it was my stag night. I didn't want, didn't want to let the didn't want to let the boys out.
1: Um,
0: I'm just gonna, for for everyone that's listening, I just want to explain what's going on. So out of the bone marrow gravy, into a frying pan, a few spoonfuls of the gravy, and then one by one, mushrooms, onions, carrots, and then. Parsnips. Uh, uh, and parsnips are all being braised, braised in the sauteed and, in, braised. sauteed and braised in the gravy, and then being added to the gravy.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Okay, and so this is going to be that gravy is going to be a really sort of rich mix of those vegetable flavours and the and the beef flavours.
1: It will be, um, and um, the marrow, and the marrow at the end. So I've got mushrooms, onions. As you said there's uh, carrots, um, parsnips in there,
0: and i will put the Brussels sprouts in there later. Okay, and what's going in the pan now? Madeira, Ah. so
1: Madeira is like a secret. That's a lot Madeira.
0: It was a lot. It's a a Herculean amount of Madeira. Yeah, Yeah.
1: I'm going to drink some as well. Okay, Um, so Madeira is like a secret weapon. Obviously, it's it's expensive stuff. So you've got to be careful how much you use. Right in a restaurant, but at home I can use whatever I want.
0: Um, Are you one of those chefs that makes the accountant? Terrified every time you put something else on the menu because it's all morels and truffles and a gallon of Madeira to. and and yeah. all the rest of it.
1: If I was allowed to, for sure. Um, but in a in a big company, there are people. We, I mean, we've got FDS, yeah. financial directors, and and people watching what what us there do. Well, chefs get up to.
0: <laughs> when you were at the Albion, and it was just you and your business partner. Would you ever put something on the menu and sort of realise at the end of the month? Yeah, I had we, to we've literally on. been throwing yeah. we've been throwing tenors out the front door.
1: Yeah, all the time. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we didn't make any money at the Albion. The only way we made money was by selling it. So we bought the Albion right. for fifty thousand wow. pounds. We sold it for twenty times that. Fantastic. Seven or eight years later.
0: Once its reputation been yes. established, but no no profit on the actual. Furniture.
1: No profit during the time, though. No. <laughs> Uh, I don't think I even earned any money out of it, but whatever. It was, uh, it was good times.
0: Well, it would be remiss of me sort of not to ask you to talk about, you know, your passion for and your relationship with, with the meat business. Um, you know, I would say that you're not single-handedly, but certainly, sort of partly responsible. You know, Hawksmoor as it began to expand was kind of ahead of the game before the entire capital to me seemed to be like swamped with meat. It became fashionable to really care about your meat and your provenance. And you guys at you know, Hawksmoor were kind of there at the beginning, but now there's Goodwin and there's Gaucho, and you know we were all drowning in like pulled pork and, and like, quality hamburgers and all that kind of stuff. There was sort of a meat revolution for want of a less pretentious description. Yeah. And you guys were at the forefront of that. Caring about provenance and caring about flavor and all that kind of thing. Has I, your relationship with it changed because we all consume so much of it
1: now? Um, yeah, I, I, I don't eat nearly as much as I used to. And I'm, I'm kind of... I, there's less and less of it about, actually. I mean, it's hard to farm quality meat. You can only do it in small amounts. Yeah. And as people eat more and more of it, and meat becomes extensively farmed, Or intensively and extensively farmed. You have to choose which one you're going to go for. You can't, you you can't go out there and buy decent meat from a supermarket. It just doesn't exist. Nothing.
0: You just can't be. It's okay.
1: It's okay. I mean, there are a couple of supermarkets that are doing a reasonably good job. Yeah. Um, Do you want me to name them? No, probably not. Yeah, you can say whatever you want. Well, I think Waitrose is okay. Um, I think that's the only one that I would, I would shop in.
0: Okay, in terms of the right animals, the right process... They know the where right... the, meat,
1: the meat's coming from, they know the animals, they know the farms, um, they are conscientious, but it's not, it's not the top quality beef
0: or meat. If I'm going to eat less meat and I'm, and I'm going to have that meat of better quality, like how, do I, how do I do that? Yeah, it's so easy not to do it.
1: I think if you know at home, the only thing to do is is go to a good butcher's, and you have to do a lot of research. I mean, there's like three or four in London. Um, I won't name them because you know I've got my own butcher, but yeah, yeah, yeah. there are three or four <laughs> good butchers in London. Um, but around the around the country, there's there's like at least at least a dozen or so that I could name around around the country. And and what kind of questions should I be asking? Um, well, you, you need to ask them, where does this meat come from? If they don't know that, then that's Out the, the first first hurdle. Where does the, the meat come from? What breed is it? If they don't know what breed it is, because you know there are several beef breeds, if they just say it's beef, then that's an alarm call. Yeah. Um, what's it been fed? How old was it at slaughter? Um, and do a bit of research about what the answer should be. Um, and once you've 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 got you're, you're satisfied with the butcher knows what he's talking about then you could probably start to trust him a bit. Yeah. Buy one piece of meat. Take it home, cook it. If it's good, go back and build a relationship
0: with your butcher. <laughs> 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 I said this when I was talking to Will in an, in another episode. I think anyone that wants to set up a restaurant to try and make a living from it is basically mad. Yeah, uh, it's such a risky thing to do. You have to spend so much money before a single person does or doesn't walk in your freshly painted front door. But you've opened a lot of. Them. Does it get easier or no. do, do, like tell me about it? It seems like so nerve wracking to
1: me. I mean, I, I, I do the, the food side of things, so there's a lot more to it than, than my my yeah. experience. But but it's tough. It's a really tough industry. I mean, I'm looking at a site at the moment in um, in Ibiza and a site in, in Hong Kong, and I'm sort of thinking, do I want to do this again? Do I want to go through it all, all again? I'm not sure, but the, you know, there's something slightly addictive about it. And what is that? Um, I think it's, if, if you're a feeder, you're a feeder. Right. <laughs> if you like looking after people and, and, um, and, you know, making them happy, it's kind of like, a, you know, it's, it's, it's,
0: it's, it's ingrained in you. I, I read somewhere that you were thinking about opening um, uh, a more vegetable orientated restaurant. Is that still something you think about? Absolutely.
1: I mean, I love vegetables and I, I really do think we should eat more of them, but I don't think the market's there for it yet. Right. I'm waiting. Right. I mean, I, I started a, a festival a couple of years ago called Plant Life. Okay. Nobody bought any tickets.
0: <laughs> Miitopia sells out in 20 minutes, Plant Life. Miitopia sells Not out so, much. so
1: fast. So I'm just um, adding fish sauce to this.
0: So, yeah, uh, and what that looks like a particular kind of fish sauce. That is actually
1: well spotted. <laughs> so that's the best fish sauce in the world.
0: What I'm looking at, what I'm holding in my hands is a bottle of red boat fish sauce. So what makes this so special?
1: Uh, it's, they call it virgin pressed anchovies. Um, it's, you know, it's a clean, it's not, it's not overly fishy. It's not the like stuff you buy in supermarkets. Mm. I think it's 15 quid a bottle. You, right. can, you can actually get it online. but uh,
0: the reason That I'm, has a slightly fruitier quality yeah. than a normal fish sauce. There's less salt in it as well.
1: Yeah, it's really good stuff. I mean, you know, if you can find the Red Boat online, then, then buy
0: it. I should also add that a big old square of HP is going in there. So A lot of HP is going in there. Yeah,
1: I'm, I'm going to sort of taste it and add little bits to that as I go. Right. Um, well, maybe so you'll
0: convert me. This is this is like this is this is Marmite for me. HP. Really? Right? Yeah. It's not. It's.
1: You won't use you, it.
0: You're a red sauce person or a brown sauce person, right? When it comes to the when it comes to bacon sandwiches, then I'm red sauce all the way. But maybe you know, maybe I'll be converted. We'll see. Yeah. And
1: so that's Marco. Marco used to finish um, his B sauces and a few other sauces with HP sauce, uh, and not something one. For the for the vinegar
0: hit of it, there's fru- the some fruit, sugar in there the as fruit, well.
1: Fruit, fruit and vinegar. Yeah. Right. There's tamarind in there and a few other. I think maybe dates as well. But it's. Um, I mean, this what I've made there is like a, a mixture of fish sauce, HP, and a little bit of the uh, the bone marrow gravy. I, mean, I wouldn't recommend tasting that. I mean, it's going to be intense. But I'm gonna this have is that this so. is going to be a hell
0: of a gravy, isn't it? We've yeah. got bone marrow, we've got uh, HP, we've got fish sauce, we've got. Uh, what else is in there? Jeez, this
1: Onions, shallots. Sorry,
0: um, I'm going to try that. I mean,
1: that, right? be careful because that will be quite strong.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, that is. <laughs> pretty strong. See, that already tastes like um, that. Tastes like the the, the, the the runoff from a sliced steak. That's yeah. got that 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 is the kind of that's what's left marmy, on the plate yeah. when you've had your yeah, yeah.
1: when those, you've had your steak. Those
0: are umami. I mean, I wish you could see it if you're listening, but this essentially looks like... Well, it looks like a kind of steak version of engine oil. It is impossibly <laughs> glossy and quite thick. Yeah. And it's not been thickened with anything. No, There's no flour in. or butter in there.
1: Nothing, no. There will be butter later. And bone marrow. More bone
0: marrow to come in. Yeah. So it was just the bones to start with and the marrow going in later. There's no marrow in there now, or was there marrow and then more marrow?
1: The, bu- the, the stuff that was left on the bones is in there.
0: Right, and you've got extra marrow.
1: And then I'm going to finish it with chunks of bone marrow.
0: And butter. And butter. Holy (laughs) Jesus. Wow. But but yeah, as we were talking about, (laughs) this vegetable (laughs) restaurant (laughs) that you'd really love everybody to get into.
1: Yeah, yeah. Vegetables great. But, you know, that's... (laughs) I love vegetables. I do. There's loads of vegetables in there. Yeah. They're coated in meat, but they're, uh, they're, you know,
0: they're vegetables. I grew up... You know, if, if... I grew up, there was no such thing as British food when I was growing up. So I was born in seventy-five. Right. So I first started to take you know any notice of what I was eating probably around the age of nine or ten. And you know my mum, uh, you know no disrespect to my mum, birds eye grills and you know uh, sort of supermarket shepherd's pies and stuff like that. No no olive oil, no herbs, no wine, no garlic, nothing like yeah, that. I mean, and everybody okay. I knew ate the same way. Yeah, right, convenient. And you know she had two kids to feed and my dad was at work she did a brilliant job you know no one died of scurvy it was absolutely fine but <laughs> it's always a good thing yeah but the i mean i think even now i was just listening to something today actually was a, an american comedian was talking on a podcast saying i guarantee you i travel all over the world and nobody is ever in some other part of the world kind of going yeah I, I, do you have a british menu yeah you know, to me like the reputation weirdly is still not great why do you think that is well,
1: it's because we, we spent such a long period of time cooking crap food. Whereas if you go back far enough, go back to sort of medieval times, the food was pretty good. Mm. I mean, it was interesting and, and you know, there was quite a lot of it. But um, we, yeah, the whole of the 70s and 60s, we, you know, we just lost it and ended up cooking absolute rubbish. Mm. And we've only just started to bring it back. I mean, people like Fergus Henderson have um, you know, changed the way people think about British food. And there's a chap called Jonathan Jones. You heard of him? He's over in um, Anchor and Hope in Waterloo. Okay. Cooking incredible British food. But it's quite recent, it's only in the last 10 years.
0: That's Tunworth. Yeah. Oh, I love that. It is good stuff. And that is. Oh my God. Okay, so I just have to. <laughs> I'm going to have to explain this. In a, in a pan that contains. No more mashed potato than a serving for the three of us that are in this room. How
1: how many grams of butter? Uh, I'm going to put half a pack of butter in there. So that's
0: 125 grams of butter and a piece of Tunworth soft cheese as big as a hockey puck has also just gone into this mash. So, uh, yeah, if if my arteries just...
1: Well, I, I don't Stop. think, I think your arteries will really be fine. <laughs> no, I, I think
0: you're... I mean, I, I can't wait to try it. That's almost like uh, aligot with that much yeah. cheese in it. Is that going to not... go stringy?
1: It will, no, it won't go stringy, but it'll be very, very rich. Yeah. I mean, very rich. Um, but I haven't put any butter in the bone marrow gravy, so, you know, that's my... Oh, OK. So, yeah, I mean, it's practically...
0: Yeah. yeah Calorie-free, right? Gym food. <laughs> <laughs> where, where was the place you worked where you think you learned the most? Oh... In cookery, yeah. Oh, unless you want to talk, you know, your emotional life, we could do both. <laughs> I'm happy to do both.
1: I learned an awful lot from Hawksmoor, but but not cookery. I, I taught the cookery rather than learnt about it. Yeah. But um, I think Marco was, was where I learned the most about food. In One terms
0: th- of in terms of technique or palate or all
1: technique and passion and you know how to um, how to get the most out of ingredients. And how to build flavours.
0: Right. And for the people listening who aren't already cooks, when you talk about building flavours, what does that mean?
1: Uh, It means piling ridiculous flavours on top of each other until you get to a level of, of umami that you're happy with. Okay. Now, that's what I do. Right. But great chefs uh, have something called balance and, and
0: <laughs> restraint. <laughs> I, I mean, there's an enormous amount of restraint going on here. So
1: yeah, I, right. I don't do restraint. I never have. But the thing is, Hawksmoor's not restraint, is it? No. So, you know, and people like Hawksmoor. So clearly there's a, there's a market for the way I do things.
0: Yeah, and it's, uh, you know, for a kind of, not a one-off, but for an occasional meal yeah. where, where you are kind of almost reeling out of there. <laughs> um, you know, it have to be poured into a tax. Yeah. It's you a, if you ate this way every nut. day, then
1: the, yeah. there'd be a problem, right? I'm
0: pretty sure. So again, you're gonna think I'm trying to uh, butter you up here, but when you did Metopia at Dublin, yep. if I remember rightly, your the dish you were doing, it oh. was a slice of fillet with a longestine on top of it. Oh well, it was, yeah. With some bone marrow. I'd completely forgot about that. Right. And I wanted to ask you about it. So I I was working that day, so I was pretty hungry and I hadn't eaten properly and I was running around with the camera crew and all this And someone gave me, queued up and got me one of those. And I ate it and not just that it was delicious, but something about all that protein and flavor concentrated in two bites made my brain light up (laughs) like a pinball machine, do you know what I mean? What is it about getting that sort of hit it's not just about thinking that tastes lovely. It's not just your taste buds kind of responding to it. Something, something went off in my head. It was like, I need that. I needed that bite. You know what I mean? All my nerve endings are like, you know, tingling. It was brilliant.
1: I can't remember the exact dish. It was langoustine, bone marrow and fillet steak. I remember. Mm. I'm guessing the langoustine was probably tossing a little bit of um, shrimp butter. Shrimp butter. So there would have been nutmeg involved in it right. somewhere. Uh, a little bit of, little bit of uh, white pepper nutmeg. Um, I'm, I'm. I i do not know. It's. It, I, I. I like to punch people. Not literally. <laughs> not, fi- figuratively.
0: Yeah, you're not figuratively. Yeah. Twenty. You in the power in the anymore, No, right,
1: exactly. Right. But figuratively, punch people with flavour. Um, and the reason I know that that's okay is because I know a lot of great chefs come to Hawksmoor. Like right. really great chefs. Mm. So you know, two three mission style chefs will turn up at Hawksmoor and eat our food.
0: Yeah.
1: So it's obviously got. Um, it's it's obviously works. Mm. Uh, It's 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 never going to win a Michelin star. It's never going to be like you know, uh, a a fancy pants restaurant. But people like it, and it's just really punching people in the in the taste buds.
0: So now that you don't have to be at the pass all the time, yeah, you don't have to be haggling with suppliers or arguing with the owner about how many truffles you bought or whatever. Exactly. um, Do you still do you still eat out for pleasure? Um, I
1: do, not very often. Because you don't that.
0: have time or because it's not a pleasure?
1: Because I, I, I think I've just got set in my ways and I, I, I know where I like.
0: Okay.
1: I like St John. Mm-hmm. I, like, I like my own things. Right. <laughs> um, but there are some, some places around, around town that I need to go and eat in. And I've, I've got a list. It's about ten strong at the moment.
0: And is that, sort of a, is, that a, is that a kind of a professional responsibility in a way? You've got to keep... You hear something you think i've got to find out what that is got to find out what's going on
1: yeah i have to keep abreast of what's going on and make sure we don't fall behind um
0: and being so involved in so many restaurants professionally is it are you ever able to switch off your your head when you go into somewhere new or are you ordering and looking around and kind of going well i wouldn't do it like that and then you know they'll no, be closed um, in six months because of this or whatever no
1: never i'm i'm really forgiving and i'm there to have a good time but i'm, right. I'm gonna steal ideas if I can but I'm not I never judge
0: you're not sort of quietly no 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 because no, no, no. it's
1: bloody hard yeah I mean anyone that does it for a living or opens their own restaurant up their own pocket mm. their savings I mean god that's uh, that's impressive and so many people do it
0: uh, ever been thrown out of anywhere
1: oh loads of places
0: <laughs> not restaurants so. oh bars and pubs
1: yeah, yeah a few, few bars and clubs and pubs and whatever yeah or yeah. well, not allowed in, in fact. But <laughs> <Purely. laughs>
0: well, so, yeah, After my stag, after, my, after we left Hawkesmore and my stag did, we all went to the tea building. Uh, right, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. But we were
0: all in suits because we'd got dressed up for the dinner and they wouldn't let us in. They thought we were a bunch of uh, city types come to ruin their uh, edgy nightclub vibe. Exactly. And they wouldn't let us in. So I, my stag night actually ended about half 11 in the evening and we all had to go home. I
1: get refused entrance not for wearing a suit though, just for being, you know. Scuffy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, you've been in the military. Yep. You've been in private security. Yep. And you've been in the restaurant business. Yep. Which one of those professions contains the most number of people that shouldn't be allowed in polite society? Restaurant business. <laughs> but a shadow of a doubt. Why? So it has this reputation for attracting nutters, for want of a better description, or people who when they're not cooking are yeah. really living a kind of wild life. I they're essentially being kept alive by their jobs.
1: That is still true. Why do um, you think that is? I don't, well, I think it's because of, traditionally the restaurant industry has let people in without qualifications. Right. They haven't studied at school, they haven't done all the things that you're supposed to do for, to get a good job. So people are you know, looking for that last thing to do fall into the restaurant industry. Right. And they can make a good life out of it, if they work hard. Um, the military, you get tested to make sure you're not a lunatic. Right. Believe it or not. Yeah. Um, so I'm not sure how I got in, but <laughs> maybe back then they weren't testing, maybe, maybe.
0: You just lied about your sanity.
1: Exactly, yeah. I knew how to play the game, maybe.
0: And I'm sure you've worked with people over the years who through no fault of their own, have just kind of gone, I can't, this is, I'm done.
1: Well, actually, I, yeah, there's, there's one incredibly good chef. I mean, like top of the range chef who worked for, for Marco, um, at the restaurant Marco White and at Harvey's in fact. And he was so talented mm. and so skilled. And I, I imagine would always go on to be one of the greats. Um, and he, at some point, after the restaurant, he, he kind of gave up and stopped and, and became a recluse and he, he wouldn't, wouldn't leave the house. He's got agoraphobia and things. So yeah, it, it, you know, you see it happening and it's, it's quite scary. I remember working 100 hours a week at the Gavroche. Yeah. 96,
0: 98. So that's really, that's just work and not enough sleep and that's it?
1: Yeah, yeah. We used to sleep in, the, uh, in one of the rooms next to the restaurant Loads of us on sofas and couches and stuff.
0: Just drop where you sleep, where you drop, and get yeah. up, and do it all over again.
1: And I remember at Harvey's, there was um, a period of time when people wouldn't go home, they'd just sleep on the banquettes in the restaurant. Mm. Go Easier. back into work. Yeah. And f- not shower, which is a bit weird
0: now you think about it. Wow. Well, I mean, <laughs> you're only, only going to sweat it all off, off again, right? Yeah. What, are you, what do you think you were like to work for when you first started? Um, lovely. Um, well. <laughs> <laughs> That's a bit too quick, the answer there. <laughs> a little bit too quick. I don't know.
1: People, some people seem to think I was a bit, you know, what's the word I'm going to look for? Cantankerous, shall we say? Right. Um, others might say aggressive, but I mean, clearly, they're wrong, right?
0: I mean, you seem absolutely charming to me. Exactly. But, um, you know, I'm not I'm not cocking up your uh, most expensive dish on the menu three times in a row in the middle of a busy service. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> I wouldn't do that. No, but <laughs> what's it, what would it be? Do you think you've changed over the years? Yeah. Because you've opened all of these places and because you've seen, you know, lots of people kind of come and go and... How are you different now from, where, from the person that sort of struck out and thought, right, I'm going to run this pub?
1: Well, I'm... I'm... A lot calmer, I th- think. Places like Corksmore changed me, because the culture is so, so nice and so sort of they're looking after people, and that's changed the way I think about things. And also, my balls aren't online anymore. So right. you know, if, if they were, maybe I'd still be a bit touchy, but but they're not. Um, maybe when I open a new restaurant, they might be.
0: <laughs> and 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 when you open the next one, you open. That'll be with a different mindset, right? With a
1: Yeah, from scratch, with different mindset. I'm um, I, I mean I am not entirely sure what I want to do yet. Um but something interesting, something abroad for sure. Um meaty still, because I'm not sure it was ready for me to be cooking vegetables.
0: How do we were I was talking about this to somebody else the other day. How do you feel about the fact that there are still even with social media and even with bloggers and even with everyone being able to kind of be a critic it's still one of those industries that is very dependent on the opinions of a a small handful of gatekeepers
1: yeah absolutely yeah
0: you know i can listen to an album and decide whether or not i like it or i can watch the trailer for a movie but what i cannot do is go and get a little sample of uh, the new Hawksmoor in in madison and decide whether or not i want to eat there and so i am still going to read what the Times critic or what Jay Rayner or Faye Master or whatever has to say, These there are still a handful of people that have the power to basically kill or cure. Yeah. How do
1: you feel about
0: that? I mean, you've, you must have taken some knocks over the years. I have, yeah.
1: Um, I'm no fan of critics, um, although a couple of them are now friends of mine, but I'm no fan fans of them.
0: As In, in principle, you mean? In
1: principle, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's easy to critic someone there's a quote from uh, Theodore Roosevelt, which I can't tell you because it's, it's quite long, but it's about the, uh, the critic doesn't go into the arena of battle, basically. Yeah. Um, and that's how I feel. But, you know, someone has to, has to be judging restaurants. You can't wait until you've, you've sort of seen how many customers come through the door and, and repeat customers before you declare a restaurant good or bad. Right. So it has to be done by someone, but obviously I've been on the wrong end of it, and the right end of it. Yeah. Um, and so I'm, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've got a few bugbears, some of them are rubbish, basically.
0: Because they don't know enough about food or they don't know enough about the industry? They don't
1: know enough about food, they don't know enough about ingredients, they, their taste buds are shot. Right. I'm not going to mention her name.
0: <laughs> I wish you would, because I can sense that there's one on your lips. Well, there no, is. This but, is not the place.
1: But it's not the place, and, and you know, she's
0: nearing retirement. So. <laughs> that, that narrows it down. We'll let the listeners sort of work out who that might be. Right. Um, the For someone in your position, so you've, you've done very well. You've got some notable restaurants. You are, you know, you're a, you're a name in the industry, and also a name that people outside the industry... You know, it might know. You seem largely to not have taken the many offers that must have been dangled to do some telly or for them for a TV production company to sort of put you in a Land Rover and send you off driving around like Rick. I mean, have you, have you had those offers and turned them I've down?
1: Had, I've had the offers and I've actually done it. Um, but I was so bad that it never made the screen. I mean, what, happened? <laughs> what happened? So I, I did a, a couple of pilots. I did one um, in the Middle East. Okay, what was, was that about? Uh, it was looking at war zones, food in war zones. Okay. Um, I did one pilot for that and then I did a pilot on, on a farm uh, looking at uh, produce, farming produce and how it you know, goes to the plate. UK? UK.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, both of which are in the can, so if anyone out there wants to, uh, you know, take me off on it. Did you, did you <laughs> enjoy it? No. Right, why uh, Now I do. Now I, I'm okay with it. I mean Now I, I've done Saturday Kitchen a couple of times and okay. Sunday Brunch and what have you. And now I'm okay with it. But I, I was, you know, camera phobic. Right. Um, yeah, quite, not, not shy. I just didn't like cameras.
0: And when they switched it on, did it make you feel, you sort of seized well, up just a bit? I like wouldn't, I was just like, you know, yeah. a, bit, a bit strange, a bit peculiar. And you were talking to camera and that was difficult.
1: Yeah, talking to camera and off camera either. either. I mean, you know, it's a big camera in your face. It was, right. it was a bit tricky for me and I was a bit wooden and stilted. I think
0: it should be your job to describe uh, this piece of beef to us.
1: OK, well this is a, this is a three bone standing rib roast, um, it's from a Hereford animal, which is 100% purebred. It's been hung for not, not long actually, only 28 days, and, um, and slow roasted. It came from Holly Lodge.
0: And was it seasoned or uh, yeah, was actually, there any searing or anything before uh, it went in? Good
1: point. So I seasoned it this morning, first thing. I okay. left it for four hours. There's a sort of window where seasoning, if you, if you season it and leave for two hours, it doesn't work as well as if you season it for 10 minutes or for four hours.
0: And that's bringing juices out of the, the flesh and out of the skin.
1: Yep, and then sucking it back in again.
0: Ah, and then taking the seasoned juices back into the meat? Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah, yeah. So (coughs) that way you end up with a highly seasoned piece of meat. And then I sealed it off in a a pan and roasted it 180 degrees for like 10, 15 minutes. Yeah. And then 160 degrees. And then all the way down to 120. And then 90. Wow. And I rested it for 60. 60? Yeah. Hmm. At sixty,
0: and I notice there's no you're doing you're doing there's no there's no probes going on here there's no internal temperature measurement or anything like that you're I mean obviously you've done this a great many times now but you've
1: said that if this isn't right
0: <laughs> what are we going to say are you going to lie well I mean you know I'll have to take it from you whether it's right or not I'd be interested like if, you're uh, not, if you're not you happy see. with it then that'll be quite well funny. obviously I'm going to say I'm going to say it's perfect aren't I. <laughs> I'm interested to see how rare this is going to look.
1: It yes, won't be rare.
0: Because I love, the, like, the rarer the, the better. I'm Do happy. you? Yeah, I mean, oh they, um, no,
1: not for me. No. I like it. This, if it's uh, a fatty cut, which this is, this is yeah. like prime rib, right? That's, uh, that's perfect.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and so this beautiful piece of beef is being sliced into uh, its, uh, its three kind of bone-in pieces. And yeah, there's just there's a beautiful pinkness to this, and a tiny little bit of um, tiny little bit of kind of red in the middle. Uh, but yeah, you're right, very fatty, and that fat is a really kind of deep. That's a really deep sort of yellow,
1: yeah. colour. I mean, the fat is if you, if you cook it too rare, then the fat's indigestible. It's kind of hard to eat. Mm. So I, I, I cook um, I cook this cut to, to medium, which is what this is. So <coughs> that's not a portion, obviously, but that's no. how I'd serve it.
0: Okay, and how much, how big a piece is that weight-wise? Well,
1: that's uh, got to be 900 grams. Wow. Um, And with tumworth mash, tumworth garlic mash, wow. and braised vegetables.
0: And braised vegetables. This is a thing of beauty. I'm going to have to do the uh, the Instagram thing and take a picture of it to start with. And then
1: i raised vegetables with an awfully large amount of bone marrow.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How
1: long have those veg been in then? Um, well, you've been watching me, so it's yeah. probably like 20 minutes or so. The, the, the Brussels sprouts are cooked all the way through because I like them kind of soft. I don't, not, I'm not a fan of El dente. Right. I'm very th- I'm surprised In the of the, of
0: the of the Brussels, because the, they're obviously always so associated just with one particular meal.
1: <laughs> <laughs> they are. I eat them all the time. Really? Yeah, and Brussels tops, I love them. Why? I don't know, they're just so green and and tasty, and you know, maybe it's a a memory thing. Right. Do you want to eat this?
0: Yeah, 100%. So yeah, six or seven slices of this amazing pink beef, which is incredibly tender, very, very savoury. The gravy, which has got bone marrow, HP, Fish sauce, um, and uh, Madeira in it. Oddly, it's incredibly rich, but it's not heavy. <laughs> it is a very kind of it's a it's a light. You're right. It's a fruity flavour to this gravy. It's health food. In contrast, in contrast with the savouriness of the of the beef, it's actually quite light. Is that fruit flavour coming from the Madeira or from the HP?
1: Both. Madeira and HP. Good and, Lord. And the fish sauce is um, it's made from anchovies, so the French make something called jus Parisien, which is um, an anchovies whisked into a gravy, basically. And I use fish sauce because it's uh, just easier and, and cleaner. Mm-hmm.
0: Than going with whole anchovy. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: So I've got a couple of quick-fire questions for you, yeah. Richard, and then we'll be done. Um, What's the worst thing a customer's ever done in one of your restaurants? Oh, really? Yeah.
1: The worst thing, as in...
0: What's the worst customer behaviour you've ever seen? Uh,
1: there was a customer that smoked opium in one of
0: the restaurants. What's...
1: Yeah. Which one? Which person? <laughs> well, if you want to name them, yeah,
0: go ahead, know which restaurant. Uh,
1: the restaurant was uh Horse And
0: how was this, this egregious behaviour discovered?
1: I believe, well, because you could smell opium. In fact, the room that you like in Spitalfields, the yeah. back room, was where it happened. Okay. And um, they, were, they were promptly escorted from the building. And what were they like, were they like nodding out
0: or were they just
1: sort of pretending I, like nothing had happened? I was like yeah, in the, the kitchen, so I don't know. But, um, but they were in, in the back room at Spitalfields and someone smelt something sweet and strange. And uh, they were escorted, yeah. I mean, you
0: know, it's, it's part of a night out. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure if you can include that, because, you know,
1: it's, it's, quite, a, it's quite a serious thing, isn't it?
0: <laughs> yeah, oh, but, you know, no, someone, uh, I'm asking everybody this, and, uh, you know, we've had some... It was a very long time ago. We've had some salty answers thus far. So, so this was ten
1: years ago, so okay. I think that, you
0: know... What, what, what do we all need to do to be better, customers? Um, don't
1: get... Oh, I'm guilty of this, actually, but don't get too drunk in a restaurant. It's mm-hmm. not It's not pretty, it's not attractive. I know I have done that. Um, be polite. Treat treat the people that are serving you like you would, you know, friends and family and people you know. Um, other than that, enjoy yourself. I mean, you know, there's nothing worse than someone that's stony-faced at a table not enjoying themselves.
0: I always wonder what on earth is going on when I see people like that when they're yeah. getting out. Just don't like out yeah <laughs> you could do this at home you can yeah, tell yeah. you know exactly. what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> and so um i'm not going to make everybody listen to me eat all the rest of this because it's quite a substantial meal uh but i just want to take this opportunity to say thanks for being on the root and Bone podcast thanks for cooking us this delicious meal and hopefully we'll be able to do it again excellent thank thanks you very much It's Gimme. good fun And there we go. Just in case my guzzling noises didn't make it abundantly clear, that beef dish was truly memorable. Thanks again to Richard for letting us come over to his house. Thanks to Thomas Duncan for his ninja-like production skills. And thank you for listening to the Root & Bone podcast. Please do like and subscribe if you enjoyed what you heard. And let us know what you think at Root & Bone on Twitter and Instagram. See you next time.